Troy Songsdale doesn't need any introduction to many of you because uh, you were here when he was here. But we do have so many new people who are unacquainted with him. You will get to know him. You will know him as a result of his preaching to you today. So I'm just going to ask Troy to go ahead and come up from New Philadelphia, Ohio, First Baptist Church, Troy Stockson. Well, good morning. It is my great privilege to be here with you today. We, we had a good week. Um, in Warrensburg, if you were out there at all, that was, that was I, I think I told the folks Friday night, I think, you know, I got way more out of it than I gave, but um, I'm appreciative of that, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm thrilled and honored to be here uh, with you this morning. I mean, this, this place does have a special, holds a special place in my heart, and, and your pastor holds an especially special place in my heart. Um, I, certainly, I certainly wouldn't be standing here today without him or doing um, any of the things that I'm doing without him and his investment in me. Um, so, you know, but that's how it's supposed to work. That's how it's supposed to work. We're, we're supposed to invest the Word of God into souls of men, and we're going to be thankful for the faithful men that have done that and, and carried that on. And as Alan said, there's a, there's a next generation coming behind us um, that we need to do that job that, that, that others have done before us. And so um, I'm grateful to get to be a part of that. But we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3. And at the retreat, our, our theme for those evenings was being a builder for the Lord. And I used the book of Nehemiah as an example. So we preached all three messages um, out of that book. And if you know anything about the book of Nehemiah, that probably makes some sense to you, as the book of Nehemiah is, a, is, a, is about one of the teams, one of the m- multiple teams that came back to Jerusalem after their time of captivity and, you know, known as the exile, and um, the Babylonians came in, you know, this has been like, you know, 536 BD or, or BC, and, and um, you know, captured, uh, Israel ca- captured Jerusalem and ushered the people out, and, and um, but after, you know, 70-some years or so, 80 years, they were we were able to start bringing some people back into the land. And Zerubbabel, a guy by the name of Zerubbabel, led a team. Ezra, the book of Ezra in the Bible, that's about a team that came back, rebuilt the temple. And then Nehemiah was the man that led a team to rebuild the, the walls and the protection um, around the city. And, and so we used that book to talk about being a builder for the Lord because, you know, the thing that you learn very quickly in the book of Nehemiah is that it's, it's not that that... that book is not just about rebuilding the walls and the gates and the doors and the protection. It was about the rebuilding of the people, reestablishing worship, re- recommitting their life uh, to the work of the Lord there in the city that was created for worship of the Lord. So it was an, an act of worship there. And so, um, so we've, we've looked at this book, you know, three different passages from this book. So we started actually Wednesday night in chapter 7 after the, the walls had already been rebuilt and talked about protection and, and what we need to do for the next generation, what we need to establish to protect our house, to protect this church, protect our fellowship. And then, and then we looked to Thursday night at the keys of life, the keys to a meaningful life, um, and showing up and serving and sacrificing and, and those sorts of things, and, and those are the key. And then, and then we ended it Friday night by, by seeing a warning out of the last chapter, Nehemiah chapter 13, the decisions we make. And we're faced with decisions every day, and, and, and we need to be making decisions that are pleasing to the Lord, and because there's a world out there that hates us and speaks a different language than us, and, 
And um, so, you know, we, we saw some of the, the warnings there uh, out of Nehemiah 13. But this morning, we're going to back it all the way up to the beginning of the building project, um, the, the building of the, of the walls, because you know, Nehemiah, he's, he's away in Persia. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's a cupbearer for the king of Persia. And, and he hears in chapter 1, he hears about the state of the city and the, the ruin that it's in. And he, God burdens his heart and so he desires to go back, and so he talks to you know, his boss, the king, and he gets leave to go back to rebuild, lead a team of people to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And so he shows up in chapter 2, this is you know, a very long distance, he shows up in chapter 2, he surveys the city, and he, he puts together a plan, and then in chapter 3, the work gets going. In Nehemiah chapter 3, it's a, it's a fairly interesting chapter because it's mostly just a list of names and places that people we're working along the wall, and, and, and so, you know, if you look in a bunch of commentaries or, or hear messages about it, most of those just, I think guys don't necessarily know what to do with it, and they kind of gloss over it, but it's a, but it's a chapter that's very interesting. Um, there are, you know, there are ten gates that are listed in that chapter. There's a couple others in the, in the, later on in the book, but there's ten gates that picture some very, very uh, interesting things, and, and we see these names, and we see the jobs that were given, and, and um, so that's what we're going to study this morning, uh, I think God does have something to teach us while, you know, you know, it may be to some it seems like somewhat mundane and boring chapter of just a bunch of names um, that I'm about to butcher, by the way. I, you know, listen, I, I study this stuff hard, actually, and, and, you know, learn how to pronounce them. So then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go and I'll Google them all and that's how I pronounce. And then once I start reading... Like that's just all that's just all all gone and I, and then my once I start stumbling like I'll cruise for a while and then I'll stumble over one word and then it's it goes downhill from there but so anyway um, but we're gonna read some names and and I I, I think that, that God has something to teach us um, this morning in all those and 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 really the keys to understanding what it is to be a builder of the Lord as we look to build our own lives build our homes. Uh, build our families, build our churches, build this church. Um, and so, you know, I think there's some, some interesting and, and important things to learn here in chapter 3. And this morning, the theme, the, the title for this message is to knowing the task at hand, because, because that's obviously uh, necessary. If you don't have a grasp of the job that you're supposed to do, how are you ever going to be able to do that successfully? You, you know, you can't. And what we're going to see in chapter 3 is, is the, not only the why, it's important to be a builder of the Lord, but how? How you go about building your life and your family and your home and, and this church all to God's glory. Um, so that's my goal. As you leave here today, you'll understand the task that we have at hand um, and, 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 and all that goes into it. So, so let's begin to break this down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the first uh, eight chapters, or I'm sorry, the first, <laughs> listen, hang on, hang, yeah, hang, how, how much time you guys got today? It's going to be, we're going to be here a little while. We've got some, stuff, got some stuff to go through. We're going to, I'm very tired. It's been a long, long week. It's been a great week. It's been a long week. So pray for me. We're going to get through one more, we're going to get through one more message um, as I stumble over my words the rest of the time probably. We're going to read the first eight verses of Nehemiah chapter 3 and then we'll see what God has for us. But in Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible says, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren the priests and they builded the sheep gate, they sanctified it and set up the doors of it. Even under the tower of Meha, they sanctified it under the tower of Hananiel. And next unto them built the men of Jericho. And next to them built Zakur the son of Emery. But the fish gate did the sons of Hasanah build. 
who also laid the beams thereof and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof. And next unto them repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Kaz. And next unto them repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshizabel. And, and unto them repaired Zadok, the son of Bana. And next unto them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of the Lord. Moreover, the old gate repaired Jehoiadiah, the son of Peseah, and Mushalim, the son of Besadiah. And they laid the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. And next unto them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranothite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, under the throne of the governor on this side of the river. And next unto him repaired Uzziel, the son of Hariah, the goldsmiths. Next unto him repaired Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries, and they fortified Jerusalem under the broad wall. And the list just goes on and on of names and places and people. And so after that uh, pronunciation nightmare, let's go to the Lord in prayer and see if uh, he can bring us back on track. But dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word. Um, thank you for this church. Thank you for Alan and, and just um, his investment, not only in me, but in so many people throughout the years. And and Lord, we're just so thankful for that and the legacy that continues here at Harvest Baptist Church. I pray that you be with us today, and I pray that you teach us your word as only you can. Move me out of the way, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit have free reign in our lives to teach us what it is that you have for us today. I pray that everything that is said is true to your word. I pray that you are honored and glorified through it, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, with respect to being a builder of the Lord, what we're going to look at today, there, there are four aspects to the work that I want to pull out of this chapter that I think should give us all some level of understanding of what building for the Lord means, and so that you know why you should be involved, and then you know how it is to accomplish what's in front of you. And the, and the first aspect that you need to understand, the first thing that we're going to look at today, is the significance of the work. And I point this one out, this point, our first point, and then our last point, our fourth point for the day. Those get to the why. Why we should do it. Why you should build your life and live your life in a way that glorifies the Lord. And the why starts with the significance of the work that we are undertaking. And the children of Israel, working under the leadership of Nehemiah, understood this. They understood the significance because look at what it says in verse 5. And unto them next, the Dekoites Decoi, the repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. Now, we're going to talk about these nobles later on in the sermon and their unwillingness to work. But, but what I want you to catch here is the phrase at the end of that verse. This project was a work of their Lord. And again, not just any Lord, but their Lord. You see, this project was not just some random construction work. This wasn't just something that, you know, well, maybe this sounds like a good idea. Why don't we build a wall around the city? This was the Lord's work. And you learn from Nehemiah 2.18 that God's good hand was upon this good work. That's what it says in that verse. And, and even Nehemiah's enemies recognize the significance of the work. There's, there's many enemies that they face all along throughout the book of Nehemiah, all along through the project and even after the wall was built. And in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 16, when the wall was completed and the, the enemies hear about it, it says, And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. You see, and when it comes to significance, can I just tell you 
that a work of the Lord, what you do in service to the Lord through this church, is more important than any other work out there. And that is because spiritual work is more important than physical work. Now, I want you to understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you need to go quit your job and so that you can stand on the street corner and evangelize every day. I'm not saying to do that. That's crazy. In the, in, in the very same way that you don't need to quit your job so that you can pray without ceasing. Right? The Bible tells us to do that, right? 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. That's a command that we have. Well, you don't have to, you know, stay in your bedroom and get down on your knees and, and quit your job so that you can pray without ceasing. No, you can do both. You can pray without ceasing and work for the Lord. You can serve the Lord. You can understand that this life is a work for the Lord and, and work a physical job. But you do need to understand that one thing is temporal and one is eternal. So how do you manage it? How, how do you do all this and make sense of it and work it to where the God's glorified and you still keep a job so you can pay bills and stuff like that? Well, here's how. You know, God makes it easy for us. You see everything is spiritual. You see your entire life is spiritual as a work of the Lord. Kind of like Colossians 3, verses 22 and 23 tells us, says, servants... Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God, and whatsoever ye do. Again, in the context of servants and workers, employees and employers. Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. We're to do everything as unto the Lord. We're to do everything to the Lord. That's why, and this is an interesting verse that we see in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 4.15. It says that it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us that God had brought their counsel to naught. Okay, so the enemies are working, they're working behind the scenes, and God gets Nehemiah and his workers' word. He gets them word of the plans of the enemies. They had to come down off the wall for a little bit to organize, but, but they, you know, they get the word and they are able to figure it out, and God stops the enemies. And then look, after that happened, it says that we returned all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. I want you to think about this because I point this out because of how this verse ends. You know, in, in chapter 3, they're saying that, that this was a work of the Lord. This is the Lord's work. Here they're saying everyone's returning to his work, his own, the individual's work. So, so what was it? Was it the people's work or was it God's work? Well, the answer is Yes. Because the children of Israel on the job, they knew that this was the Lord's work, and they knew that this was the physical work that they had to do. It was one and the same. You see, this construction project of, of rebuilding the wall there around Jerusalem was certainly a physical task, but it was so much more than that, because they were doing it as unto the Lord and not unto men as part of worship to the Lord, what that city was established for. And listen, this is a problem for some Christians today, and it's because we tend to silo our lives. We talked about this um, um, at, at All Church Retreat. So we have our work life over here, and then we have our home life over here, and we have our church life over here, and maybe even our ministry life is even segregated from that. And we have all these silos. That's the wrong way to look at life. If you are a blood-bought, born-again Christian listening to me this morning, then you have one life. 
And that is Christ's life. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, when he shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. You see, at the moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you exchanged your old sinful life for his. And now that's the only life you're to live. In your home, in, your, in this church, while you're at your job, everywhere you go, you are to be a representative of the Lord. You're to live the life of Christ. And listen, this is a, this is a struggle for all of us at times. But, you know, the, the, there have been plenty of times in my life when, when I was home, but I wasn't living the life of Christ. There's been plenty of times I was at church, and I wasn't living the life of Christ. And, and, and I have them siloed, and I would think that, you know, whatever, the life that I was living for myself, it wasn't going to impact these other areas. That's not true. That is a lie of this world and of the devil that absolutely impacts it. We've got to see our life and all of it everywhere we go. You are a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're a representative of this church. So take the Lord Jesus Christ and Harvest Baptist Church everywhere you go. You see, for the Christian, there's no task that is secular. It's all sacred. And you see that in Psalm chapter 90, verses 16 and 17. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto his children. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. And that work plays out in many different ways. And we're to see it all as one. There is no task for the Christian that's secular. It's all sacred. We're laborers together with him. That's what 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says. We're laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry, you're God's building. And the Jews in in Nehemiah chapter 3, those children of Israel that were were working this project, they understood this because look at how this chapter starts back in verse 1. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren the priests and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it even under the tower of Meha. They sanctified it under the tower of Hananiel. And and you need to understand what's going on here. And it's no coincidence that they start this project with the sheep gate. Like I said, there was, there were, in in chapter 3, there are 10 gates that are outlined, or a couple more later in the chapter. And and so when they're building the wall, they kind of use those as their frame. And they're building between, you know, the wall in between all these gates. And so the, the project started with the sheep gate, which would have been up in the northeast corner of the wall around the city. And then, then the work, as we'll trace through Nehemiah chapter 3, goes counterclockwise all the way around. And, and they start with the, with the sheep gate. And the sheep gate is where they would literally bring in the sheep for the sacrifice. And so that's why it was called the sheep gate. And then you have the fish gate. And then you have the old gate. And you have the valley gate. And you have the dung gate. And you have a lot of gates in chapter 3. And those all are, there are very, very cool pictures in, in all of those gates, and, and we obviously don't have time to go through that. I, I, I took four weeks to go through that um, with my church. But there's, there's very interesting and, and cool pictures in that. But today, I, I just want you to notice the phrase directly after they builded the sheep gate. What did they do? There in verse 1. It says they sanctified it. They sanctified that sheep gate. And sanctified just means set apart for a holy purpose. So this physical job of rebuilding the wall and this gate, was, they sanctified, it was set apart 
for a holy purpose because it was a work of the Lord. And I point that out because I want you to understand that there wasn't just secular to them. It was sacred. And you know what? Your home and this church, those are God-ordained institutions, right? That God has ordained the institution of the home first and, and, and the church and government. They're, or they're, they are set apart institutions that God wants to use for a holy purpose. And they should be sacred to you. And how you represent the Lord in those places and wherever you show up, it's important. And like I said, so many times we silo our lives and, 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 and we think, man, I can, I can, you know, I can take a break here. I'm, I'm in my house. I, I can do what I want in my house. Well, yeah, of, of course you can do what you want in your house, but everything you're doing is under the Lord. So, and you need to view it that way. That's the mind that we need to put on. We're so lulled to sleep by this world and the deception of the world. It's just a different mind. We talked about a different language that the world speaks and how the world hates us. We talked about that at, at All Church Retreat and and we've, we, we've, we are so susceptible to fall into it, we have to be careful. So how you represent the Lord, where you show up, it's important. It's important because you got one life, and it's Christ's life. So be living it for Him. Understand the significance. And understand how important it is to invest in your kids and your grandkids in this church. It's a sacred task. And so view it as such. Even the mundane things of life... You know, for young moms, I know it's hard. And, and it seems like, you know, changing diapers and just feeding them so you can change more diapers. That, that doesn't seem, you know, like there's a much of a holy purpose there. I promise you there is. I promise you there is. It's, it's important. Don't get lost in the middle of the mundane, physical things that we do that are so important for God. But I, I get it. This is a hard thing to do. So how do you, how do you get the right mind? How do you get the mind of Christ, living your life to God's glory and living life unsiloed, considering it all to be to the Lord, where then you're fulfilled in that work? Because it's not just something physical that you're not doing for nothing, you know, that has really no, you know, benefit really to you. And, and, and how you're working, you're working according to your gifts so you get fulfillment in it. And that gets to our second point. Because in order to do all this successfully, you need to understand the specificity of the work. You see, as you go through this entire chapter, what you see, and we saw some of that in those first eight verses, is that each person and each group listed, they were given a very specific location in which to work. And it starts with the sheep gate, again, in that, that, that northeast corner and works around. And, and so you have individuals and groups given specific assignments, and that just tells us that each and every one of us has a specific role to play in the body. We looked at 1 Corinthians 12 some this week at, at, at All Church Retreat, but it's worth looking at again. Verses 14 through 20 say, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it had pleased him, and if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. 
You see, Paul directly addresses the fact that everyone has a specific place and role in the body. Everyone. And yet, I wonder how many people have come in here this morning and you've said to yourself at one time or another, man, I love to come to this church. I get so much from this church, but I don't, I don't feel there's anything that I have to offer. You know, there's nothing that I can do. I can't contribute to the work of the Lord. I don't have any abilities or others know so much more than I do or whatever. And, and now listen, I promise you that I'm not trying to be unsympathetic to feelings of inadequacy. I feel them quite often. I know those feelings well. But Paul's response to that line of thinking is very clear. Paul, Paul said if the, if the foot said, you know, I can't do all that the hand does, and it's, it's got that opposable thumb, and it's connected to that, you know, flexible arm. The leg's not as, the move as fast as the arms. And, you know, so I'm, I'm, I don't have any role here in the body. I can't, I, there's nothing I can do. And, and if the ear says, because I, I can't see, the eyes, what sees, that's not, if, without seeing, man, there's, there's nothing that I can do. I'm not part of the body. Well, that, the ear's just deceiving itself. The foot's just deceiving itself. They're all absolutely part of the body. And not only part of the body, they play a specific and important role. And using this analogy, Paul is saying that you are, if you are a member of this church and a member of the body of Christ, and you say to yourself, well, I, don't, I can't do it. There's nothing that I bring. I can't stand up and preach or teach or lead a ministry. There's nothing that I can do. You are deceiving yourself. You have a role. And obviously your role might be different than Alan's, but it's still important to the overall job getting done. So when you do not take part in the body and building this body, building for the Lord, and you don't take part in it as God designed, you are breaking down this church brick by brick. And not only that, you're breaking down your home. You certainly have a role there. Remember, the role of being a builder of the Lord applies to our individual lives and our homes and our church, and they're all tied together. You can't separate them. You'll have a strong church when you have strong homes and strong families. And you'll have a strong home and a strong family when you have a strong life personally. And it's interesting because in Nehemiah chapter 3, you find the word house 11 times. And most of those times, they deal with a specific location where the person was working, building the wall. They were building outside their house. So, for example, look at verse 10. And next unto them repaired Jediah, the son of Harumpha, even over against his house. He's, he's building against his house. You see verses like this throughout the chapter. Because the, the building, the work of building, starts with you. And it starts in your home. They were building a wall right outside where they lived. And our work starts in our home. That's why you see men that God used like Joshua say this in Joshua 24, 15. Many of you have part of this verse on your wall at home. And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites and whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. And, and Abraham says a similar thing in Genesis 18, 19. And, and about commanding his house. And listen, there's just something so important, uh, God's work in the home. And we talked about, we won't go into detail this, but we talked about it this week. And, and, and the importance of, of, of teaching our kids and training our kids what the Bible has to say. 
and, and, you know, and, and we expect so much. We expect our kids to get A's in classes like calculus and, and, and organic chemistry and, and, you know, American history because they need to get scholarships and they need to do all that, and that's all fine. But then we don't have the same expectations of them in the Bible. Listen, the, Lord's, the, the, the Lord speaks a different language than, than, the, than the world. First, first John chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 tells us that very clearly. And we have to be very, very careful that we're not teaching our children the language of the world in exclusion to the language of the Lord. Command your house. Fathers, commands is Father's Day. Command your house that way. In, in a loving way that teaches your kids about the love of the Lord. Build your house to God's glory and see if he doesn't honor it. I bet he will. And I know you want the best for your kids, so give them the best. And that's the Lord. Learn that language. And so you need to understand the specificity. You have a role. You have a role in your home. You have a role at this church. There's a job for you to do. And then when you get that down and and when others do too, then you'll see the, the third point, and that's the synergy of the work. And this, this point is directly related to the, to the previous one, but because what we see in Nehemiah is that everyone is doing their specific job and the work gets done in 52 days. It was an amazing, amazing accomplishment. But not one person could have done it on their own. It takes everybody working together. The job that this church, the, God, the, the job that God has given this church to do, it can't be done by one man. It can't be done by two men. It takes everybody. In Nehemiah chapter 3, we see 38 individuals listed in at least 15 groups of people, depending on how you want to count it, covering 42 locations. And there are a couple things that I want to point out in this chapter that really get to the synergy aspect of the work of everyone working together. And first is the the diversity of the workers. Because within this chapter, you see the high priests, the other priests, the Levites, you see goldsmiths, apothecaries, or perfumers, merchants, rulers, women, children, groups from all over. And they're all working together. And you see phrases throughout the book like next unto him, next unto them, after him, because they're working together. And it's all part of the listing in this chapter, but it signifies that all different types of people from different upbringings and different perspectives were working together in unity to accomplish the Lord's work. And that's exactly what a church should be. We need everyone. We need all hands on deck. So that means you. This church needs you. This obviously goes along with our last point on the body. And and, and going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, earlier in that chapter, verses 4 through 6, it says, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. And, and going back to where we were, I don't care if you think you have nothing to offer. Nehemiah used everybody. And I want you to consider for a second the work and who was in Jerusalem. Because, like I said, there were a couple groups that had come back before to be a part of the work. It was Zerubbabel, with Ezra, and now with Nehemiah. But, but, the, but Jerusalem wasn't abandoned that whole time. The, the Jews were under captivity. But it wasn't abandoned when the Babylonians came in. And, and, and took Daniel out and, you know, all of those others. Took, took all, of, all of the people out and, 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 and did, wreaked havoc on Jerusalem. Look at what Second Kings chapter 24 and verse 14 says about this. It says, and he carried away all of Jerusalem. This is the Babylonian captivity. 
and all the princes and all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths, none remained save the poorest sort of the people of the land. See, they didn't take everybody. They just took who they thought, you know, were, were the good, the valiant men that could bring something to the table for them. The poorest sort, they left back in the land, but they didn't let them, they had a job for them too. Because they also, they didn't think the people had anything to offer, but the land did. And, and look, in, in Jeremiah 39.10 tells us this. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left the poor of the people, which had nothing in the land of Judah, and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. You see, they wanted the fruit from the land. They destroyed the city. They wanted the fruit for the land. And so they left the poorest sort, the poorest people, back to tend the fields. And we don't see anywhere in the Bible where they came back and got them. So the descendants of these poor sort would have been probably the largest group still in Jerusalem when Nehemiah shows up. And I praise the Lord for that because that's me. I'm of the poorest sort. But God can still use me. Because God can use anybody. And that's what this teaches us. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've been through, how poor you are, how worthless you think you are. There is a place for you. And even more than that, you are needed. Everyone is needed because there is a diversity in the work and in the workers. But the other aspect of the synergy of the work in Nehemiah was the devotion of the workers. You see that in verse 20. And after him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, earnestly repaired the other piece from the turning of the wall under the door of the house of Eliashib, the priest. You see, it says he earnestly repaired the wall. It means zealously. Or we might say that dude was on fire for the Lord because he was devoted to the work. And it, it doesn't say this necessarily about anyone else in this chapter, but in Nehemiah 4, 6, it says they all had a mind to work. And there's, you, need to, you need to study that out as far as the mind, what we've already been talking about some. The mind that is needed to get the job done is the mind of Christ and not the mind of this world. They had a mind to work. There was a devotion to the cause. Ecclesiastes 9, 10 says, Whatsoever thy, fan, thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. You, you can't do it after you die. Do it now. There's a work to do now. Do it now. This means working hard and working until the job was done, just like Jesus. And in John 17, he said he finished the work that his father gave him to do, and that obviously wasn't the work of the cross. That didn't come until John 19. This was the training of his disciples as he was sending them out after he was going to die. He finished that work, and then... When he was on the cross, what's he say? It's finished. He finished that work too. Paul, at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 7, said he finished his course. It's so important. God's given us a mission. Let's be about it to the end. Don't quit now. There's so many people that, that, that just give up and quit along the way. There's so many Christians who start on fire, but they burn out before they should. There's many people that I bet you could all point to that you know, man, there was a time they were here and they were serving the Lord and, and they were all about it. And where are they now? And maybe some of them are serving the Lord and if they are, praise the Lord. But there are a bunch that aren't. They're no longer about the things of the Lord. There's an example of, a, a, of John Mark in Acts 15. Acts 15, 38 says, But Paul thought not good to take him with them, John Mark, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And, he, and this caused a great rift between Paul and Barnabas. But there was a time in John's Mark life that he departed from the work and he didn't finish the job. Now, praise the Lord, John Mark gets it right because we see him back in Paul's ministry later and, 
in 2 Timothy, in 2 Timothy where he says he was profitable for the work. But at this point, Paul couldn't count on him because he wasn't devoted. And so if we want to get the job done here, we all need to be involved and we all need to be invested. We all need to view our life as Christ's life and everything we do as something so much bigger than us. We need devotion to the work of the Lord. But there's one more aspect of the work that we need to discuss, and this goes back to the why. And I think this is the most important aspect of all. I believe it's one of the keys to understanding the book of Nehemiah. Certainly Nehemiah chapter 3, and that's the story of the work. And when I say the story of the work, I mean the detailed account, because that's what we get. Nehemiah chapter 3 is a specific record of who did what. That is the story of this chapter. And I said multiple times this week, but I'm going to say it again. You need to know that God keeps records. And if, if Nehemiah teaches you nothing else, it should teach you that. God keeps records. There's a list of names in chapter 3. There is just a list of names in chapter 7. There's a list of names in chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12. And there's other smaller lists. Those majority of those chapters make up a list of names of people. And, and, and they list cities. They list everything. There's other lists in other chapters. God keeps records. He keeps a record of your service or, listen to me, your lack of service. Because if you remember back to verse 5 that we read earlier, it said, next unto him the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of the Lord. That's recorded too. And the nobles thought they were too good for this work. They didn't want to work with the poorest sort. They thought it was too dangerous, and so they weren't going to put their necks on the line. And I'll say they probably were right on one side. It is dangerous work, and it's getting more and more dangerous as we near the Lord's return. But they weren't too good for it because none of us are. None of us are above being servants of the Lord. That's the right leadership, servant leadership. And it is a dangerous work, but it's worth it. And God knows. He knows exactly what you are doing and exactly what you are not doing. And listen, this, is, this aspect of this book is so interesting to me because I cannot imagine that for a second any of those 38 names listed in Nehemiah chapter 3 knew that they would end up in God's scripture, that we would be reading as a part of a completed, preserved Bible some 2,500 years later. And a Bible that's settled forever in heaven. Isn't that amazing? You see, everything you do for the Lord is important and impactful, even if you never know it. Even if it seems like changing the diapers doesn't do anything. No, everything, if you view it as sacred, you do it under the Lord, is important and impactful. No service to the Lord is wasted unless you're doing it in your flesh. And God keeps track. He keeps track of everything. The Bible says that he counts the hairs on our head. The Bible says that he keeps our tears in a bottle because the Lord keeps records. He keeps track of our faithful service or our lack thereof. And... Our faithful service or our lack thereof will be noted at the judgment seat of Christ where we will be judged for our works, what we built. Romans 14, 12 says, So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And we're going to give an account of what we did. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Listen, this is the why. Oh, that we would live our lives in light of the judgment seat. But that's just for the Christian. Maybe you're in here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior. Well, listen, you're going to give an account too. 
And you know what you're going to give an account for? Your works. Because as a system you, cho- you chose to try to get to heaven. And no m- amount of good works is enough to do that. Because you are comparing yourself to the standard of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perfection. Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 and 12 says, And I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was, no, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. You see, there is absolutely a record. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to what? Their works. There's a story to be written in your life, just like there was in Nehemiah chapter 3. And that story will be read one day before the Lord, all based on your works. Psalm 90 verse 9 says, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. So as, I'm, as I close, I just have one question for you. How will your story read? How will, you, how will your story read? Are you building for the Lord or are you building for yourself? And if you're just building for yourself, I must tell you that your day of judgment, whether that comes at the judgment seat or the great white throne, that is a day to be feared. And I'm afraid that many, for many of us, the hymn, I wish I had given him more, will ring too true. Now, hymn says, by and by, when I look on his face, beautiful face, thorn-shadowed face. By and by, when I look on his face, I wish I had given him more. More, so much more. By and by, when he holds out his hands, welcoming hands, nail-riven hands. By and by, when he holds out his hands. I wish I had given him more, more, so much more. I don't think we're going to stand before Christ and say, man, I, I wish I would have served him less. I wish I would have showed up at church less. I wish I had lived for myself more. I don't think that's what we're going to feel. I think it's going to be this. So let's get about the work of the Lord through this church today. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for dying for us. And thank you for allowing us to work for you, a work that you'll even reward. And that's so amazing. And and so, Lord, I pray for each and every person here today. I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, Lord, that that you will convict their hearts now, Lord, to, to meet you today to come into the saving knowledge of, of who you are as their Savior. And Lord, they'll accept in faith your finished work on the cross today as a payment for their sins. And, and Lord, for all of us here that are Christians, I pray that you, just, you convict us and, and get us to analyze ourselves and where we're at and just to see where we're at and how our story will read. And, and Lord, I pray that, that if there's changes we need to make, we'll do that even now. Lord, we love you. You're such a good God. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.